and welcome to episode 365 of the Awesome Comics Podcast, a place where the small press makes one hell of a big noise. I'm Vince Hunt, and joining me as always is the creator of the webcomic Vanguard, Dan Butcher. Hello. Mr. Tony Esmond, the third amigo, is off in the States at Heroes Con as we speak. I mean, he's been there for a few days now, and he's been doing the tour, as you know, because he called us from Toronto last time. But, yeah. But he's having far too much fun and probably um, buying another suitcase so he can buy it buy even more comics and bring them home. Got flanked by a Cumber and Falp. Yeah. <laughs> which he has uh, been sending which is quite a of... sentence to say. Yeah. <laughs> he's been sending photos of him with uh, various comic book pros. And it's yeah. like, my God, I, I recognise it. But that, it's like the last time I saw that person was maybe 10, 15 years ago. So... Yeah, uh, I, I don't know what they look like now. And oh god, that's fucking Mike Grell. Yeah, and yeah. So uh, expect next week to have a rundown on uh, sort of not the review. It's not review of the show, but um, how the show was. Yeah, how well he did, etc., etc. Um, but you will hear a bit more from Tony in a bit because we've got another interview lined up. But um, a little bit, something a little bit special for you. Yeah, something we've talked about for a little while. So, um, but you know what? We also talk about it for a little while every week, Dan. Yeah, I do know. It's roughly about this time every week in the show. So I think it is about this time, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't, don't we have this down as the, the Comic House Minute? That's it. That's right? it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Comic House are our sponsor, and they are an <laughs> indie comic marketplace who love indie comics as much as we do and you do. Because we know you do, because that's why you listen to this show, probably. Can't be yes. for anything else, because there's absolutely no other elements of quality. But it's like the uh, MI5 listening to it. Yeah. These um, fucking guys, yeah, <laughs> on yeah. the watch list. Yeah, nice to. S- <laughs> Thanks for listening, Jeff. Anyway, there's a- <laughs> but on Comic House, there's a huge section of titles on their database. If you yourself self-publish, you can also list your book on there, and it's another avenue to get your work out to the the wider public. And another brilliant way to do it is on their digital app. If you've got digital versions of your comics, and let's face it, everyone does mm. this in this day and age. Heck, that's pretty much most of my reading a lot of the time. Yeah, um, yeah. Especially now that like, people are travelling a bit more, aren't they, Dan? I mean, you mm. know, n- now that people are travelling to work and stuff, I'd imagine maybe digital sales are going Back up. Back on the digitals, bit. yeah. Yeah, I would say going up a little bit, but they may be going down because obviously people were buying digital because they couldn't go to the stores. It's an interesting world we it's live in. It's interesting. I was speaking to someone on Twitter and they were talking about like <laughs> they see a big push of people, like indie comic creators, pushing digital. Yeah. And they were like wondering why. And I was like, well, if the comic's made, digital's no no further cost. Yeah. Whereas if you've got to buy the, you got you got to print the fucking thing, you got to uh, post it to the person, and that's the cost is racking up. Yeah. Whereas digital's just 100%, not profit as it were, but just that's what it is. It's great. Yeah. Um, so you need to get hold of the Comic House app. It's basically it's a subscription service like Netflix for comics. Only £3 a month, you get access to an enormous library of digital indie comics. Mm. It's being added to all the time. Uh, what's on there at the moment, Dan? Well, recently uploaded, we've got uh, Drawn Under the Influence Volume 1. Uh, hey. Volume 2 is currently in production. I think the deadline for that is looming. Uh, I'm helping letter in someone's comic on that. Uh, we've got a Tom Long's post by our friend uh, Kev. Calling? Yes. Uh, that's on, that's been uploaded. We've got the Monster Cleanup Guy from uh, Snowy Works, uh, History of Comics 1977, and the Comic Scene Annual 2021, plus a whole lot more. Yeah. All on Comic House. Yeah, and it's been added to you all the time. Probably by the time you l- listen to this, there's been even more stuff added. Mm. So, um, yeah, you can go to comichouse.com, find out about a 14 day free, free trial for the app, get involved, 
And also, if you're a creator, you can add like social media links, etc., so that when people yeah. check, check out your comic and leave a review, they've got an immediate link to where to find more of your work. So definitely get on it. I mean, uh, if you've fulfilled your Kickstarter and you've got those digital issues sitting around, maybe they're not shifting anymore. Yeah. Put them on that and you get some more life out there, more readers. Yeah, yeah. Just give it a bit of space. Make sure everyone that's uh, on the Kickstarter has been fed first, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, We've but, mentioned this in previous shows. Yeah. Like, give it a bit of time before. Yeah. So otherwise you feel like you're getting... Otherwise it's like those bigger publishers, isn't it? Where they do a big Kickstarter and then uh, people are still waiting for their comics even though they're on the stands. Yeah, that that mm. does irk people a lot. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure in this day and age, no one's going to say anything about it. No, 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 no. No, no, no. no, no, no. Silent majority. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, me and Dan also have a little topic that's been sort of gnawing away at us a little bit. Yes. Um, well, I mean... I got my uh, soapbox out of the cupboard, Dan. I had to dust it off a little bit, but um, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Uh, I'm sure you will. I I, I sent Dan a little uh, <laughs> image, just yeah, to get him just... a little bit, a little bit riled up. We'll tell you tell you more about it in a minute. But um, it, yeah. it was good in as much that it kind of like hit hit the nail on the head it was in regards to the subject we're going to be uh, touching on. Yeah, because it was like that's it. That's totally it. Yep. Yep. Um, because we're going to be talking a little bit about bad guys. Yes. But before we do that, let's listen to some good guys. Because yes. um, here is a, great. <laughs> here is um, our wonderful interview that Tony did with the amazing Stephen Appleby. Okay. Um, awesome Comics Podcast is on the road. I've landed in the, I wrote here, sunny stroke rainy. And it's been a bit of both, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Campbell, I'm lucky enough to have been invited to the studio of our, one of our favourite creators, Stephen Appleby, um, creator of comics, um, prose, TV, radio, more um, titles such as the title we're about to speak about, Dragman, which is 336 pages. Bloody hell. Yes. <laughs> um, the Little Book of Farts. I just wrote that down because Vince will laugh at that one. Um, Captain Star, many, many more. How's it going, Stephen? You good? I am absolutely fine. It's very good to <laughs> have you here. Thank well, you. We've already been talking for about what half an hour i'm going to say mm. yeah probably loads of stuff we should have included in the episode i'm sure but uh, probably yes <laughs> i was thinking that when we were talking know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now um we'll probably talk a little bit about your origins because um i know we were talking a minute ago we've got something in common so we're both boarding school boys yes and we're also both big science fiction fans yes um how did that play into and your, your mum was a cartoonist of some kind as well is that right well, she she was a, ha- a housewife, as mums were back then, but she drew really well, and she um, taught me about mixing colours and things like that when we were kids, and we would make things together, make little dolls and figures and stuff. And, and uh, she drew comics, basically, in school notebooks when she was a kid, so I guess it would have been the early 30s she was drawing them and her comics we've probably got about 24 notebooks with these stories in and they're clearly based on the kind of films of that era so the characters look like Gene Harlow and so on and they're kind of saying like I think I really love him you know stuff like (laughs) that and there's gangsters and things and uh, most of them are just black and white one drawing a page but some of them are coloured and they're just great you know yeah and the paper's gone completely brown now you know is that something she kept to herself or is it something that 
you knew about as it was happening and would and then necessarily would copy what she's doing maybe or? no well she owned, she did it before i was born you know okay. when she was a teenager at school and and i had no idea about them because she was canadian and she met my dad during the second world war and came over to the uk on a convoy of ships okay. during the war and you know we used to get her to tell that story in the car and stuff you know, and there are little, there are things to do with like ships being sunk and uh, arriving in Liverpool one morning and the city was burning, you know, and things like that. But um, I didn't have any idea she'd drawn these comic books because they were left behind in Canada. And then after my grandmother in Canada died, my mum went over there and she brought various things back, including the comic books. Okay. So that was the first time that would have been. I guess the early seventies. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, how did you get into cartooning? What was the sort of reason? I mean, I think I suppose kids um, of our age were were drawing because we didn't have the internet and video games to look at. I suppose, didn't we? That's how kind of why I drew. I, I guess so. I guess so. I mean, I mean, the, slightly digressing, but the earliest absurd thing which I've realised recently was a big influence was the Goon Show on radio because okay. my mum and dad were big fans of the Goon Show. And I remember hearing that, and it was just so wonderfully, fantastically insane. And so I heard that as a little kid. Um, but also, my mum and dad uh, had Punch magazine. Okay. So I saw one frame gag cartoons more than comics. Um, and they had various books, like they had a Charles Adams book, they had a New, New Yorker cartoons okay. book. Yeah. Um, and they had Ronald Searle books, like St. Trinian's. And I loved that sort of stuff. I mean, I don't know quite what age I was. So I was influenced by all those kind of things, sort of like a line of writing and a drawing you know, together. And um, and in terms of comics, we my mum subscribed to, well, the local, basically the local news agent every week got us the Beano, the Dandy and Look and Learn. Okay. Yeah. And and my sister got a girls comic when she was a bit older, you know, Bunty or something. And so I read all of those. So I remember sort of things like Billy the Cat and yeah. you know, they just released a Billy little, the Cat book I think, haven't they? Have they? Yeah. yeah, yeah well, yeah. I used to really really like Billy the Cat and Little Plum yeah. For years I had a little plum page that used to make me laugh every single time I looked at it <laughs> and it was in a frame and I don't know at what point in my life it. I had it as a student on the wall, yeah. it disappeared but it was just the drawings that always made me laugh and anyway, but so all so I was aware of all of that but um, I and I made little magazines and little books when I was a kid uh they weren't really comics. Um, how I actually got into comics in the end was because I always included writing and ideas in my drawings when I was at art school and so on. Okay. And I started to, in the 80s, when I came to London, I was at the Royal College of Art, um, I started doing drawings for the NME, and uh, and I had a sort of inside track to that because I'd been at art school 
with Malcolm Garrett, who designed the Buzzcocks sleeves yeah, and things. Yeah. So, so I was in his studio one day, and somebody, I think the art editor of the Enemy, rang up and they needed a drawing, and they said, you know, do you know anybody? And he said, oh, I've got someone right here, you know, cool. I'll send him round now, you know. And I sort of went round. They wanted a drawing for the next day, and that was kind of my first proper job. And I was up all night doing this drawing, which kind of, in retrospect, was a bit rubbish. A slight rewind. You actually, that was your second go at art school. Is that right? Yeah, I I, I left boarding school and went to Manchester Art School. I can't remember if it was a polytechnic or what the fuck it was back then. (laughs) It's so long ago. But anyway, I went there and, and I'd been kind of the best in my year at art at school and then suddenly there were all these people who could draw really brilliantly well and and I realised I was kind of third rate at drawing, do you know what I mean? I was like, oh no, I don't want to be an artist if I'm going to be not the best. third yeah. rate. I want to be, you know, good, yeah. Yeah, one of, well, maybe not the best, but one of, you know, on the top okay. level anyway. Yeah. But, um and that that sort of disillusioned me but I was also playing in school bands before I went to art college and and it had been a toss, toss up between oh should I be in a band or should I so I dropped out of art school and played in a band what was the name of the band I can't remember <laughs> is it av- are they available to be listened to no they're not I mean oh, okay. one day I should put it online or something <laughs> yeah. there are some things but we never made a record or anything right we were we were called Plug. P L O O G, which was a made-up word, and and the idea was it was like kind of Omo or Daz or something. It was just, and we kind of decided that bands could be called things like Yes or it. It kind of didn't matter too much, yeah. it, you know. Obviously, you wanted a brilliant name, but and we couldn't think of one, so we came up with Plug. Plug. Plug's all right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah. I was so embarrassed about it for years. I would never <laughs> tell anybody, but I'm kind of over that now but anyway um so what made you go back again well it's a sort of mixture of things i mean basically the band never got anywhere at all and um so we split up after two years and then what was i going to do and art was the thing i liked doing and and i wanted to do something i liked with my life you know not you know and i loved newspapers and posters and magazines and I somehow I got into William Morris and those sort of books he printed you know with his own press and so on and I was into all of that idea and I thought maybe I could work for a newspaper and I looked into that and then I was you know and I and in the end I couldn't think of what else to do other than go back to art school so that's what I did but um and then that second time around I really got into it whereas the first time I was like undecided but having three years out of school by then or whatever suddenly I was kind of mature enough I think to to see the potential I don't really know but just I suddenly got completely consumed and fired up by the joy of it you know and um do you think that was something to do with the lecturers there because wasn't you were on my telly at Christmas I'd like to point out yeah who was one, wasn't one of the lecturers one of the reasons that happened? Well, um, I, I, yeah, well, yes. I, one of my 
lecturers when I went to the Royal College of Art was Quentin Blake, who's yeah. very inspiring, and the other people there were great. Peter Brooks, who draws okay. for the Times, and yeah. you know, and so on. And, um, but but I'm talking about the, my kind of pre. That was an MA course, and before that, I was doing this BA course, and it was just the other students, and we just really, you know, and and some of the lecturers, and I just got really excited by the whole thing. Plus, then Malcolm's Buzzcock sleeves were coming out, and I was looking at that, and that was another reason our band fell apart was because we were influenced by Ten CC, The Beatles, and Prog Rock, right, okay. <laughs> and right, yeah. suddenly punk came along. It's like, well, we're completely pointless, you know. Yeah totally out of step so and I was seeing Malcolm who I'd met when I was at Manchester for my one year one term and stayed friends with was doing these buzzcock sleeves and everything and I was looking at them and it was all very exciting and that was graphic design and I was studying graphics then and yeah so um but I was still making drawings with text in and characters saying things I was trying to do sinister, disturbing, creepy drawings and people would always laugh at them instead of being shocked or disturbed. Is there a point where you decided that your your style lent itself to that funny, quirky, sometimes style? I, 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 think, I think that came along late, later almost because there's this thing about art school and doing illustration where you're sort of looking for a style you you know you sort of think oh I need to create a style and then eventually I think Quentin Blake was really helpful there definitely because he would just say that the way you draw is like your handwriting or your signature it's unique and just just be yourself basically so in the end I was just being myself and that's when the the style I've got developed developed yeah yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Um, yeah. So, so it wasn't kind of inventing a style; it was discovering a style. I suppose, discovering my yeah. own yeah. natural thing, and like I was saying, I was kind of third rate at drawing life models and stuff like that. But again, in retrospect, that helped me because I couldn't draw people in proportion, and and you know, my arms bend in funny places, and they don't have knees in the right place, and. And that sort of adds somehow to the body language, to the expressiveness of of the drawing, of the characters. Right, um, personality in arts is so important. You know, yeah. otherwise we'd just be taking pictures, photographs of everything, wouldn't we, and putting bubbles on them, and that doesn't ever work as well. You yeah, know, there's an energy in art, isn't there? Sometimes. Yeah, yeah, those photo comic book things have got no kind of energy, have they? No, none at all. Yeah, none whatsoever. <laughs> there's got to be good ones somewhere but I've not come across them and yeah. um yeah so so and and I think in in one of in, there's a book that uh Scott somebody McLeod. did Scott McLeod did yeah. about comics and it's and it's got a diagram somewhere in it I remember reading it where where he's talking about sort of realism at one yeah. corner and and sort of abstract at the other side and 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 somehow somewhere in between realism and abstract, you can have this territory that I'm probably in. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, where yeah. you can be really expressive and emotional and and all that kind of thing, better than in realism or abstract. No, you, you know what I'm completely. saying? Yeah, yeah. No, I agree completely. And also, has the benefit of someone going, "Well, that's a Stephen Appleby piece of art," you know, because I can tell your stuff immediately. 
know, yeah, great. Well, that's good. Well, that's yeah, yeah, it, it is, is good. Yeah. The other thing you did is you. I mean, we're to, we're going to talk about Dragman in a minute. Yeah, loved it. But the you've done you've sort of skipped about through mediums almost, haven't you? We've had yes. um, radio and cartoons and books and all sorts of things, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been influenced by all sorts of different things. And, you know, like you mentioned science fiction, and one of my biggest influences uh, is is books without drawings, um, and particularly Philip K. Dick, for the ideas in the books. And, you know, it's almost goon show crazy, you know, Philip K. Dick. And, um, and the themes and so on. I was always interested in the themes and ideas and so on. That's a... That's a- I mean, we'll probably go, but that's really impre- interesting because the thing is with Philip K. Dick, everyone is someone else. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, there's always almost like a different personality living in someone else's head and stuff like that. Yeah, isn't nothing there, you know? in Philip K. Dick, what I take from it is kind of nothing is as it appears to be, yeah. you know. And and to be honest, that just fitted the world to me. You know, the whole world seems to be like that, you know. And, and you know, I know we'll talk about this with Dragman, but once I started wearing women's clothes in secret <laughs> clearly I wasn't what I appeared to be do, do you know what I mean and so on and so on and um, oh, years ago I did a painting about um, what the neighbours are doing next door and it was kind of just weird you know because you don't know what's going on in other people's heads in their world in their life and there's all these different kind of le- little levels of reality that we all live in you know whether it's school work you know and so on and so on and you, in your friendships, you don't know whether somebody really likes you or not. You in know, in your relationships, you relationships, never actually relationships yeah, yeah. are very complicated. Yeah. And uh, so Philip K. Dick just absolutely resonated with me. And and the other thing about Philip K. Dick is it's well, all books and things really is, is there a world? And I, and I realised later that the things I really loved were were a complete world. So you know going back to people like Ronald, Ronald Searle or Charles Adams they they made worlds you know with St Trinian's uh, Adams family uh, all sorts of things I loved the Simpsons when they came along it's a world you, you know and uh and Jack Kirby and Fantastic Four and yeah yeah this sort of thing as well you know yes as an extension of yeah you know. Batman superhero worlds it, yeah. all these different things and so I wasn't so in although I was looking at gag cartoons in punch and things like that a gag cartoon is like one thing and it's one joke and once you've read it that's it whereas if you've got a world or or even my cartoons which are sometimes one drawing I want them to be able to be looked at more than once you know or read more than once or you know I want them to stay in somebody's mind for them to think about maybe that's sort of what I'm striving for not necessarily for a laugh or obviously if people laugh it's great but if they're if they remember it or it chimes with their life or something that's great what what do you think causes because it's weird i was thinking about this this morning there's weird things we remember aren't there Mm. you know just i was i haven't been to camberwell in 20 years and i was telling you as i was i got the bus down peckham road and i'm thinking i remember that doorway and remember this thing and just these things that bring back a memory but we're conscious and awake all the time we we just don't remember everything Mm. is there anything in your cartoons that you use to to make people remember stuff is it the emotional content or is it you know it's a hard one isn't it to think I suppose if we knew why we'd be doing it all the time uh, yeah. do you mean remember stuff in the sense of trigger some memory well, thing or more that you you liked the idea of people remembering what you did is there any yeah. tricks you use 
goodness. Um, well, I suppose I'd stay away from being topical. Okay. Because, you know, however much I admire topical cartoons... We've all seen a Trump cartoon, haven't we? You know, yeah, you yeah. forget the what was behind that. I mean, if I look look at stuff from the 60s or, you know, we, we I grew up with Giles books as well and they would have to have little explanations, I seem to remember, of what what a cartoon was about, you know. Okay. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. We, we just invaded sewers or something. I, I can't yeah, remember, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and then the Giles cartoons that are universal are the ones of the family and the mother and stuff, grandmother and so on, but which are not topical. Yeah. So I stayed away from being topical. Um, can, can I suggest one then? Because yeah, please. I, th- I think the way that I remember stuff that you do is because it's fant- often fantastical and yeah. quite out there and stuff. But there's an there's an inbuilt truth into it. Is that you think? Ah, okay. Well, that's definitely true. I wasn't thinking of that as a as a was is what I try to do. Right. Um, I love. I love it when there's some kind of surreal, weird drawing, but somehow it's true or it feels true, you know. Um, I, I mean, I just showed you a drawing of three nudists wearing clothes. Yeah. And obviously people, we're all nude under the clothes. and I, But it, so there's some kind of truth in, in that. Nudists have to get dressed occasionally, I'm guessing. So there's that, isn't yeah. there, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think... Yeah, that, that yeah. What you're saying, I, I definitely want there to be some kind of truth in them, however wildly surreal they might seem to be. Sometimes, mm. um, I learned that from being in in a rubbish band, you know, where I was writing kind of prog rock songs about outer space or something that didn't connect with anyone, yeah. you know, yeah. and and I, I learned that it needs to come out of the real world, you know the if the weirdness isn't rooted in reality, it's not going to connect. You okay, know? that's interesting. Yeah. So you see where I'm going with this. There's, okay. there's method in my madness here. Yeah. Is we're going to um, we're going to talk a little bit about the origins of Dragman. Mm. Now, um, I've I've read that you um, that, when we talked a little bit about this before we turned the mic on, we should have recorded it. But the, there's um, there was like a path to it almost, wasn't there? There was things that you were doing with your art and trying yeah. to say that led to a cartoon in... Was it in The Guardian, I think you said? Is in The right? Guardian, yeah, yeah. 20 years ago, almost wow. exactly. Okay. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, because I was a secret cross-dresser, a, a transvestite, basically, although transvestite is no longer a PC word to use, so, okay. so cross-dresser gets used, but because right. um, transvestite is a medical term for a sexual deviation on a list of sexual right perversions really i mean i, I can't so, keep up so i don't no know, well yeah, I, yeah. I can barely keep up myself yeah, yeah. so you know so back in the 80s i would have happily used that word but i think cross dresser is I think it's something less. that people of our age recognize as a, as a word you know yeah in a number of ways really you know. yeah yeah well it's it it it's you know basically a man who likes to wear women's clothes yeah. so so when I started doing that and was sort of really embarrassed and ashamed and afraid of being discovered you know by you know my mum my siblings you know any of my friends you know what would they say what would they think all of that 
so uh, I then suddenly had this secret Philip K. Dick kind of life where I wasn't what I appeared to be. And um, I st- it started to come out in my work as things like um, in the Captain Star comic strip, Navigator Black. There's, there's one strip where he likes to dress as a fish in the privacy of his own room, you know, and things like that. So I had these kind of surreal versions of cross-dressing. Did anyone ever work the code out, almost? Uh, I, I don't I think so. Without being so. too personal, you were, mar- you were married at the time? Yeah. I, at, at that time, when I was doing Captain Star, I had a girlfriend. Right. And and I did try on a number of occasions to talk to her about cross-dressing, but she always shut the conversation down. And then after she and I split up and I met Nicola, who became my wife and who coloured Dragman. Oh, great. Um, great colouring as well. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, she, she's really good. And um, uh, I just thought, I have to tell her this up front. You know, I can't go into another sort of relationship and not with, with this big secret so I, it, I think it took me about a month to tell her because I was afraid of what she'd say but she just thought it was kind of fun you know and and it was great because we would go and buy clothes together and things like that but she's reflected in Dragman as well isn't it yeah right? it's you very would, much yeah, re- yeah it, it is I mean Dragman's wife isn't Nicola but there's a lot of parallels we'll talk about that I'm yeah. sure but um and I've forgotten what we were talking about. Oh, things like the line, the line all the way through to the Guardian. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah. There were Guardian cartoons where you know, uh, you know, an alien person finds that her husband has been a human being all along. It takes off his head, or uh, j- just things not being what they appear to be. It just runs right the way through. And uh, yeah, you were asking. Oh, you were asking if people cracked the code no nobody ever said anything but um but but I used to do exhibitions of paintings and prints and things as well and I was more obvious in those but I still thought it was all hidden and since I've talked to people you know more recently and they said oh yeah of course we could see you know what what you were doing there but who knows if they could though you who know knows really yeah. Yeah. yeah um so uh yeah and and so that that kind of surreal sort of people not being what they appear to be uh you know oh you know there's a guardian cartoon about a murderer living next door and he's going hello you know over the fence and just an ordinary person you know and so on those layers come from the cross-dressing and Philip K. Dick, I think. And and then eventually, as I got bolder, I suppose, and more frustrated with being secretive, and I was coming out eventually to close friends and so on, and nobody ever seemed to mind. And in 2002, I drew the first Dragman strip in The Guardian. And that was me kind of being bold, but also thinking nobody would necessarily connect it to a personal thing um although one or two friends used to say we read your comic strip in the guardian to see what's going on in your life (laughs) so people were obviously you know but i but the strip would have things about babies when i had kids and things you know and so so you could see but 
And and I got a good response to the drag, first Dragman strip. I, I, I did a, some sort of a talk at a literature festival and somebody in the questions at the end said, can we have more Dragman, please? And a neighbour said that in Rainbow Street where I lived. And, and so I thought, oh, yeah, OK, fine. And so I did some more, but they were quite shallow and they were just the idea that when he put on women's clothes he could fly and... And then he would do some sort of superhero thing that was to do with um, some sort of cross-dressing joke, really. You know, they weren't exploring anything in a more in a deeper way. Yeah. And and it was when it occurred to me that that superheroes had secret identities and cross-dressers have secret identities. You, you know, nobody in their male life knows they dress in women's clothes, and nobody they meet in their dressed as women life knows what their male name is or anything okay. yeah. that kind of made me think there's much more I could do much more with the dragman character I could make it much richer I could make a much more complex book but it took me another 10 years to to start it or to was it always sort of in the planning it was always bubbling away it was sort of bubbling away but the, but but I'm always like that I mean I, I've got a couple of things that are like 15 years old and I think I must get around to doing that you know and and it was a bit like that and uh I was talking to my agent at the time about what I should do next my book agent and I was saying well I've got this idea of you know I don't know a book about death or a book about whatever oh and drag man and the agent said that's the one you should do drag man it's personal I was out enough by then you know it's it's yeah. a personal thing um it resonated you know they they and and that kept happening people would sort of say that's the one you should do you know and so I kind of thought about it and my agent even arranged lunch with Dan Franklin from Jonathan Cape and that would now be 10 years ago mm. it was about eight years before Dragman came well maybe longer than 10 years anyway and so we had lunch with Dan and I sort of outlined what I was just saying about a book, a dragman book. And he said, sounds great. How soon can you show me something? And I said, three months. I can have some. And then that was like sort of seven or eight years before he actually got the book, you know. Yeah. So I just found it really hard Yeah. in the end, really hard. It's, it's weird. Time. Did you ever think this is quite interesting timing? Because I'm guessing... You know, well, it's about you, firstly, but yeah. the book, the the idea to do the book, was almost just before it became more acceptable, and we saw yeah. more people coming out as trans and stuff yes. like that. It was, it was just in. Nobody's ever put it to you with sort of the cynical timing head on or anything like that, have they? Or uh, I can't remember if they have or not, but but basically, I think. I mean, I I can't remember the year that I met with Dan Franklin for lunch and talked about it, but it's got to be 10 years ago, so that would have been 2012. Certainly before, perhaps we heard much more about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so the timing would have been very, a bit different if I'd done it in three months. Well, you know, if if I'd moved it forward over the next year or two, it would have been different. I personally think the timing would have been better, but um, okay. but that's just me. I mean, what happened over those years was I increasingly saw things changing and tr- the trans... I 
don't know what to call it, sort of mo- movement becoming bigger and more open and mm-hmm. and which I think is a fantastic thing. Um, yeah. And I kept thinking it's too late to do it now, you know, it's out of time because it was about my experiences of it's rooted in, in it's not exactly about them, but it's kind of rooted in the cross-dressing scene which is slightly different from yeah. trans and and I was thinking oh god you know I should have done it 2005 2010 not 2019 you know but but anyway I just kept going and uh yeah so I I think the timing was completely fine I think the timing's great and yeah moving on from that the, the next question of course I'm going to ask is do you, with this build up and you know it's like you say now people are more prepared to talk about it and be open mm. about it and stuff and there is there's a, I mean by anyone's estimations there is a, some form of movement you know yes. um do you feel like a weight on you around having someone who's got that depth of history and has got this 300 and something page book about do you get do you get a lot of people contacting you and wanting to speak to you about the the subject of trans as opposed to the subject of drag man for example or the subject of about you you know uh, I mean, to be honest, no. I okay. mean, I, I I do get people contacting me through social media who are cross-dressers normally or, or, or trans people. I mean, it's, the terminology is so difficult and complicated and I apologise for anybody listening yeah, to the podcast too, yeah. who gets yeah. the... Who like gets... A 56-year-old man who doesn't have a clue. That's who I am. So, yeah, <laughs> so you're doing much better than me. Yeah. Well, um, but... I uh, feel like a weight of responsibility. Is there anything that, you know... Well, I, I mean, I've been contacted by people who cross-dress sometimes or have a secret life, and they say thank you for the book and yeah, and, and things like that, which yeah. is lovely. And I've met people in Germany and France and places and UK who have uh, appreciated the book f- for that re- reason, and that's been really great. Um, and then occasionally I've been interviewed about... I was interviewed in... Uh, in France and it was talked about and so on and but it really isn't something that's that, that that has been at the forefront of it it's mostly been about it as a comic book you know mm. which is completely fine um yeah. because my interest is never to preach in any of my work because I don't like that when I read things things that sort of lecture to me or preach to me so I want my themes which are, which I'm very serious about, to be within the work. I want the work to be entertaining, funny, thought-provoking. Um, I think that's part of it, is if you can tell a story to engage, yeah. you're more likely to learn. You know, if yes. someone just shouts facts at you, they're not going in. Uh, but if yeah. there's, an, there's a content to it like that, you'll remember it more, I think, and learn a bit more from it, maybe. I, you know? I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, and but even that isn't exactly my prime reason. It, okay. It's to do with not wanting to preach to anyone and not wanting to be preached to. But okay. um, in 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 a fiction work, anyway. Um, you know, obviously, I don't. I'm happy to have serious conversations about things, but but yeah. Um, well, that's that's interesting, you say, because it isn't a straight autobiography by any stretch, is it? You no. know, there's, okay, I'm guessing it's. I don't know what people call it these days, pseudo-biographical or a fictionalised account of elements of your life or, you know... Yes. Is, is that how it started? You know, did you well, think, I don't want to really talk about myself, but there's, I can do this, you know? Uh, yeah, it's interesting that, because I think I think all my work has got autobiography in it, yeah. and that's what I was saying about rooting things in the real world and reality and, 
and being true to yourself and all of that. And and I mean, Captain Star, I think of weirdly as a kind of boarding school strip on one level because it's this tiny little world of people sort of who are polite and well or well you, you never know kind of what they're thinking about each other and I, I don't know it I, the star world it, somehow I've always felt it had a boarding schoolness to oh, it yeah, I don't know if you agree yeah. but and and then there's things like small birds singing which was a strip in the times which which is kind of an Agatha Christie country house uh uh, mad scientist sort of strip. So, so th- I, I always put things in all of the strips. Captain Star is science fiction and stuff. Things that were my passions and obsessions and that I loved. And Small Bird Singing is has got characters who are looking for searching for love. Uh, character obsessed with appearance. Um, a character obsessed with getting older and dying all things that obsess me <laughs> yeah. um, and so on and so on set, set in a kind of country house world and I kind of grew up in the country in an old vicarage not a giant house but I grew up in a kind of in in, in sort of in that world a tiny bit anyway and um, and Dragman is I think it could have been a much more hidden it it could have had far less personal content and i think the movement of the last 20 years to autobiographical autobiographical confessional comics and things probably helped it to be more personal and maybe also the trans uh visibility that was happening over the last 10 15 years probably also but because if it, if I'd done it in the nineties, then I would have been completely hidden within it. If you know what I mean, I wouldn't have. It would have had personal stuff in, but I would have kept myself away from. You know, but but the f- it's weird. It's almost you've had to have a certain amount of self discovery in order to create a fictional book. Oh, definitely, you know? absolutely, yeah. definitely. I had to I had to move on in my own life. You know, from my kind of repressed English boarding school. Um, person to a much more open um self-aware kind of a person hopefully self-aware did you have like long long nights and days of thinking i've got to dig deep here yeah uh well i i kept having a go at the book and putting it aside and trying it again and putting it down and i i mean i would have i would describe it as kind of never quite getting to, to work out who the character was, you, you know, who who Dragman was, uh, where, what the world was. I thought about setting it in New York, like Metropolis or something. I thought about setting it in a f- sci-fi version of reality. You know, it was like everything was up for grabs. Normally, I, I, I often can make decisions quite fast, just go with my intuition and kind of... And particularly doing weekly comic strips for newspapers, you just go for it, you know. And suddenly here's this big thing that was going to be quite personal, although I didn't know how personal, and and I wanted it to be, like you always do, a kind of, you know, my masterpiece or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I'm rather embarrassed to say that, but, um, <laughs> but you always want to do the best thing you can possibly do, and... Um, but, We're only as good as our last book, aren't we, essentially? I know, guess sometimes. so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. And it is so far my last book. I'm, I'm 
got to grips with the next one yet. But anyway, the the bit where when I was reading it and the bit where I realised that you get superpowers when you dress in female clothing, yeah, was just an utter stroke of genius. Like, I don't think that's ever been thought of before. I can't think of it anywhere else. Yeah. Well, I, I can't either. Yeah, but. Actually, that you've reminded me that one of my biggest fears was that once, as trans was becoming so much more visible as a thing, I I thought, I thought, somebody who has superpowers when he puts on women's clothes or can fly when he puts on women's clothes, I thought that is such an obvious idea. It wasn't obvious twenty years ago, but now it's in the ether. I said it's clear that a Marvel comic or a film or whatever is going to do maybe not the powers when you put on the clothes because that's kind of magic but um but something along those lines so I thought the I, I thought the adoption of a new identity I suppose is kind of a it, translation of it isn't it it yeah. is it's it's yeah. kind of the excitement thrill discovery I mean I know I know I know a lot of cross dressers who I've been meeting since probably the late very late 80s early 90s and and they become different people you know some of them who are I don't know I'm kind of guessing jobs here but say you know a lawyer or something they become this kind of frivolous crazy person who suddenly does mad stuff and they it's just so interesting anyway the so the dressing up just is a kind of transformation yeah into you know I mean a a butterfly is one it's, cliche, it's but it's the spinning Wonder Woman. It's that, it's yeah, a, yeah. You know, it's that transformation, but it's got that yes. extra layer above it, which is the best thing. Yes. Yeah. It also is now. This is the other thing from coming from a sort of straighter comics world, you know, like a Marvel and DC world. Yeah. Is it's a superhero team book as well, which is the great thing about it as well. It's so much yeah. it different things to different people, you know. Well, I I I do love the superhero idea, and I think it's in the same way that people love. Harry Potter, like this little kid who's got some special ability that, you know, Spider-Man's got the spe- you know, the, the special person in, when you're a kid oh, I wish I could be the special person um, you know, I remember kind of thinking, have I got any superpower yeah, thing can I do, kids yes, yeah, exactly yeah, yeah, that, yeah. exactly, exactly, yeah. you know can I read somebody else's thoughts, I remember thinking I could be invisible if I I was reading about light or something and and basically you see things because the light bounces off them and I was thinking all I have to do is stop light bouncing off me and I nobody could see me and it's like fucking brilliant that's it's like the old Douglas Adams thing about you can fly if you jump off a chair and miss the ground you know it's that yeah, theory yeah, isn't yeah, it? it's like yeah. that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. D- Douglas Adams is, is really interesting because I love his thinking and ideas and all of that but I totally avoided him back in the day because I felt it was too close to to me, do you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah it's interesting. Hitchhiker's Captain. Scott, yeah, yeah, isn't there? a, absolutely. And you could read both in a week. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. and yeah, and I wasn't influenced weirdly by Doug, Douglas Adams. I don't think. Maybe I came across things sort of at the edges of, but I didn't kind of sit down and read Douglas Adams or anything, you know. So, hmm. and and then I do tend to avoid things when I'm working on something yeah. to not incorporate them you know yeah, yeah, subconsciously yeah. but yeah um, so as a superhero team you've also at the same time as building a superhero team you've almost built a sort of a family so he's got well, she he's got a 
sidekick, like almost like a yeah. sister. You know, yeah. then he's a member of a club that is, you know, there's a villain in it and there's a sort of drunk old uncle at the bar and yes. know, it's almost like there's yeah, a family yeah. thing to it as well a little bit, do you think? Yeah, definitely. I, I remember thinking that myself at one point and, right. you know, and there was a drunk at the bar who turned out to be his dad in one version and I guess still right. could yeah, yeah. do, you know. I mean... I mean, I was vaguely thinking I could do more books, and then when it took me three years and I got kind of repetitive arms <laughs> syndrome, what's it called? Uh, repetitive strain injuries? Something like that. And I, yeah. yeah, with withdrawing it, you know, it never happened to me before drawing <laughs> weekly. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, bloody hell, I can't do another book like this, you know. But anyway, um, yeah, and Dog Girl, his sidekick, I, because Dragman is doing the classic cross-dressing thing of not telling anybody about his cross-dressing even his wife and so on who would actually have accepted it probably definitely um uh i've lost my train of thought but yeah so so he's being dishonest yeah he's being dishonest in keeping secrets and i wanted his sidekick to be just totally uh, she is what she is. She, accepting she's accepting as well. Yeah. yeah, accepting of him, but but also she, she's not got any. She she she's the opposite of Philip K. Dick, dog girl. In in that she she just is what she is. She's not got even got a secret identity. She's just dog girl twenty four seven. You know. And, and the interesting thing about dog girl is she sees through Crimp's lies as well. Yeah. Because the, the, she doesn't she smell. When he has sex, when he meets up, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, she so she's, does. She's kind of always there. She's almost yeah. like a, the truth of it, Matty. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's lots. Yeah, that's exactly right. She can, she can see through all that sort of stuff. And and if she wants sex, they go to a club where people can have sex in the book. And she just like, hey guys, let's go. It's kind of like. Hey, hey guys, I'm horny. Let's go and have sex. She's just up no front, straightforward. No yeah. repression, no repression. And I grew up so repressed, right. and I just wanted this character that that is liberated and open and and all of that. And Dragman should learn from that quicker than he does, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, and um, yeah. Gosh, I'm starting to think that I should be writing another book. <laughs> the other, the other, the other element of it, which we haven't spoken about yet, is the corporate stealing of souls. Now, yes, is that connected to being yourself? I took it as being a bit of that because there's the family, isn't there, um, who are just mm. horrible to their daughter all the time yeah. because they've had their soul, their souls they've stolen. Sold their souls. Was was that a reaction to some people in your life, or I? Uh, the, that's interesting. I don't quite know if it's a, rea- a reaction to anything specific, but but when I was struggling with the book, and I would put it aside, and I'd have a go at it, and I'd put it aside, and it was rubbish, and I'd put it aside, I finally was with a friend. Sorry if this gets too long winded, no, but you're not talking, I'm I, w- yeah, I was I was supposed to be working on it. Dan Franklin was waiting for it still after six years or whatever at that point. And I went to Mallorca with a girlfriend. I had an exhibition in Mallorca. We we set it up. We did that. And then we stayed on a few more days for a little holiday in an Airbnb. And she's somebody I've known since I was a teenager. I've known her since she was like 11, I think, or, you know. And 
we're very old friends and and we're sitting having a drink and she said how's your book coming along and I was like oh fucking hell don't ask me about that it's <laughs> it's completely not working and she kind of went into a lecture and she's saying oh for fuck's sake just get on with it you know what's the problem just you know and she really pissed me off and and I so I said you know I'm going for a walk and I went for a walk and I calmed down and and I came back and I apologized because I'd been an arsehole you know and and I said no you're completely right and 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 we went back to the Airbnb and the next morning I got up she was still asleep and I got up and I suddenly started writing it and she got up after about an hour and she said good morning and I said shh you know I'm I'm finally writing it you know and she went okay and then I went out to a cafe and I sat there and I wrote the whole section pretty much as it is of the sort of first flashback section where he rescues a girl who falls off the roof and outs himself by having to fly because yes. otherwise he's going to watch her die yeah. you know so he has to fly and then anyway and um and the souls thing just popped into that okay and it just it just came out of my pen out of the flow of just writing that over one like 3 hour period that morning and so but suddenly i had the tone of the character and i knew who the i just sort of it just suddenly worked and and i kind of drew that bit and i showed it to dan franklin and my agent and it was like yeah that's great what's this souls thing about okay right <laughs> people said and I said I don't actually know but it's but going back to having ideas I mean that some of my ideas are kind of really logical you know I'll look around think thinking I need an idea for the Guardian this week or I used to when I was still doing it and I'd look at you know the street or the cars or and then I'd, I'd have a sort of nuts and bolts would come together and my and I'd have an idea and then other ideas just pop into my head and for some reason the souls thing just came straight out and I sort of said to to people who asked I don't actually know because I got a French publisher quite early as well and they said can you tell us what how this is going to be developed the soul thing and I was like I don't know but but I just have a hunch it just feels right it's intuitive and yes, in the end, it did turn out... To, it was tricky, but it definitely turned out to be... Basically being true to your soul, you okay. know. So yeah. I think that's kind of the message of the book, really, be, yeah. to be true to your soul. And and if a superhero sells their soul, they lose their superpower. Um, if a person sells their soul, they're sort of still there, but they're not themselves anymore. Um yeah, then there's a bit in it yeah. where, oh, there's a sale this week. If you sell two souls, you get three. And it speaks a bit to corporate culture as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've been particularly feeling that capitalism is no longer the, <laughs> the, the, option, yeah, the yeah, correct yeah. model for the globe, you know. I mean, I'd been feeling that for ages. You know, capitalism works completely fine when you've got like a corner shop or even three corner shops or even five restaurants you've got just one company you can press a button on the computer for you know exactly yeah yeah so 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 i just felt that capitalism uh, yeah so so there's that plus plus i have a go at politicians a bit and um (laughs) because i you know i naively was quite happy through the end of the 20th century are we in the 21st century now yes yeah 
God. The 20th century, you know, quite happy in the 80s and 90s. I mean, I know there was Thatcher, but apart from that, I sort of felt that politicians in general had the country and the people's best interests at heart, and obviously there were some that didn't, but generally speaking, I was fine with trusting them and they would swap from Labour to Conservative and it would balance and it would work. And then since 2000, it just seems, again, to have gone wrong, you know, and and Boris is is clearly um, (laughs) without any scruples. Yeah, and he he has... He could be the villain in the Looney Tunes, can't he? He could well be. uh, He's like... He, he must have learnt from Trump, I think. Oh, God, I hate to think so. Like well, to think he was like he was all... <laughs> <laughs> I thought so, too. I mean, yeah, I yeah. thought, yeah, OK, I'd rather Jeremy Corbyn had got in, quite frankly. Right. But very much so, But because um, I wanted kind, uh, generous, um, fair politics, you know what I mean, and a fair, gen- kind society. Yeah. And I just don't feel we got that with... Uh, yeah funny times isn't it yeah it is funny so times strange. and before we finish because it's been brilliant Sorry, and we've yeah. done much longer and it's, it's absolutely lovely but um, just a couple of things really um, do you how do you feel about people now seeing you as Dragman do people kind of read a bit more into it than you perhaps wanted them to sometimes uh, I I'm not, I'm not sure to be honest but, yeah. yeah no I'm not and, and I can't fly God, that would have been great <laughs> yeah. but um I don't mind to be honest and yeah yeah the the the, the details of dragman's male life and his trying a lot of those details come straight out of my experience and yeah. there's the moment in the cafe where you get the splash page of them silent um I, I love that page um where it's about a third into the book and um, she's discovered the boxes. Yeah, yeah, and she's yeah. talking to him. And they go to like a cafe restaurant. Yes. Yeah, it's so yeah. poignant. That, and then pulling it out into one big, one big splash page. Brilliant. Love that. Page. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really had fun doing the book, and and I had fun making part of it written and part of it drawn, yeah. and part, you know, there's different sort of levels, different. Because there are pros, some of it's pros. Isn't some it? of it's pros. Yeah. Not, yeah. not a lot of it. Not if, you're, <laughs> if you put off graphic novel readers, but yeah. um, it's almost like the start of chapters occasionally. Yeah, of it's just yeah. a different way of creating atmosphere from d- making the reader create the atmosphere in their head instead of yeah. look at it on the page. Just changing the sort of um, work the reader does, but also stopping you realizing quite who the people concerned in the text are uh, you know just a way of kind of playing with with the uh th- thriller superhero story part but okay. um yeah we're just so, talking about where the people have confused you and they've said oh yeah. I, yes i mean well the person that amused me the most about it was my agent patrick right. who constantly and still calls it my graphic memoir <laughs> i go no no it's not and he would tweet you know stephen's graphic memoir driver like, no it's not a graphic memoir um it's a fiction it's an entertainment with truth in it you know <laughs> anyway cool and um it's um i think we have we've under we've underestimated how funny it is it's also very oh. funny 
Thank you know, you. yeah. I, 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 as I was telling you, there's a few phrases earlier that I was reading out to you that just made me giggle this morning again. It's like the fourth time I've read it or right. something. But yeah, yeah. Um, so what have you got? You, have you got much planned next? I mean, you, I've just kind of put in your mind that we should you should be doing a sequel to it. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So what's what have you got coming up? Let's put it that way, I suppose. Oh gosh. So no more drawing um, in hotel rooms. That was the thing recently, wasn't it? Didn't it? I, I'd love to do that, but uh, yeah, things like painting a hotel room with my work is lovely and fun um yeah but no nothing like that I, basically i'm i'm planning an exhibition next year which i hope will be be drawings and sort of a retros as kind of line through my work the stephen appleby work but also the work people haven't seen which is you know my sort of trans side work you know okay, so i'm kind of interested in doing that in the uk or yeah. yeah um and and i'm working on some prints for an exhibition in stuttgart uh but congratulations on the Anglem award as well which i'm Thank guessing you. you collected this year did you you go and physically collect it or well no uh they brought it to paris i did a talk in paris and it was moderated as they say in europe Compared, what is anyway? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, by um, a lovely person, lady who who is, is what is involved in Angoulême, and she brought me the award, okay. which is really cool. nice. Yeah, so, yeah. so there it is. That white oh, cat, is, yeah. that white cat oh. thing. Oh, cool. Yeah, the fauve. <laughs> and and yeah, and I'm going to Erlangen in a few weeks because, not just because, but. Dragman has been nominated for the Max und Moritz Award, oh, wow. yeah. which is sort of German oh, big cool. award. So, I've touch wood, fingers. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, yeah. yeah deserves it. Yeah, Thank yeah. You. Came up as one of our books of the year. The year it came out and everything. Yeah. Thank just, you. Just lovely. Yeah, really good. Stephen, absolute pleasure, mate. Thanks so much for that. The um, if only we'd recorded the stuff we were talking about before, but we just had like half an hour of chatting before. But all gold, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And um, good luck with your travels, man. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. And I, yeah, I shall try and write another book soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, folks. Another cracking interview with an absolutely legendary creator that we wanted to get on the show for a while. And it was nice to hear Tony again. Nice work, Tony. Um, so he's still with us. Actually, no, <laughs> when you say it like that, it makes it sound like he's, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Um, God rest his soul, uh, but he'll be back next week. Um, but um, speaking of something that's back, is uh, we're going to rant and rave a little bit. For well, no, not rant and rave. Not rant and rave. No, no, I think no, it's, no, yeah, no, no. A take on it. There was a um, uninformed, but yes, still yeah, I, all. Our, oh, by the way, before we get a second to this, as we always say, it's just completely our. This is just an opinion piece. Opinion, opinion. That's yes, all this is, um, and it's. And feel free to continue the, continue the conversations online, whether it be Twitter or the the um, Slack chat, etc. Uh, briefly mentioned on the drinker draw on Friday, went well. Everyone was pitching in with uh, chat, just like we're just going to have now. So if that's your thing, come along to the next drinker draw. It was uh, lots of fun. There you go. Yes, yeah. follow follow at this chucklehead. Oh mate, Tom yeah. Curry. Try and do the last Friday of every month. I think it's yeah, yeah, that's I think the it, schedule. I think it, I think yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but this this week, and we've been talking about this a little bit off air, occasionally in like the WhatsApp or messages or whatever. And it is about the topic of like 
villains in comics. Mm. And I know we've done an episode. We have done an episode about villains, haven't we? we we've I think we've shone a light on the subject a little bit. Um, but there's something that has more and more just been gnawing away at me <laughs> over the past probably a couple of years. I say gnawing away at me. I do. Uh, to be You've honest, noticed it. I've it's... noticed it. Yeah, yeah, I'm too busy living my life to get really, <clears throat> really hit up about it. Um, but now I'm going to get hit up about it. Um, and that's like, um, what's the best way to put this? The, the glorific- yeah. glorification of villains. I, I don't think. know if it's good. It's, it's basically this rounding the edges off of them. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. this becoming unthreatening and like no one can be a, a bad person anymore. Do you know? It's like, I, I, yeah. And it, but it comes with a bit like quite a few layers about it. Um, because, there's a, there's some classic villains in comics, whether it be the main, the bigger companies, the smaller companies, whether it be prose, whether it be TV, movies, whatever. There's some absolute classic classic villains. I've got to say, I do like the flip. If a good guy becomes a bad guy and a bad guy becomes a good guy in the, the classic comic format, that's fine. Like, yeah. I'm all down for that. But the way it's been, the way things are done now more, it's not that like that is it no there seems to be more of um certainly a lot of villains people are just more interested in them yeah and it's because people are more interested in the villains uh this is a point i know you wanted to bring up dan that um we're losing the heroes yeah if you're the people are more interested in the villain in your book than rather than the hero you fucked up as a writer as far as i'm concerned yeah yeah it should be about the writer and the villain should be acting as the, the dark mirror or however you want to structure it. But yeah. if a secondary character is more interesting than your main hero, I, I think you, yeah, I don't yeah. think that's a good sign. Um, and we're seeing it more and more with, um, obviously the term anti-hero has now become a, it's just, well, it's, a, it's almost redundant. No. Yeah. It's redundant because like so many characters now are, are anti-heroes to the point mm. where like you want us to stand up good good character good guy for want of a better term yeah do you think it's partly because um to boil it down to its basics a lot of these um characters that we're probably talking about at the end of the day they're product for these bigger companies yeah they're complete and it's all about product and marketing and what is an easier sell what are what is the public going to like more and they lean more towards these and when we're talking about these villains for instance um take a um a Harley Quinn, let's say that. That's one of the that's one of the big guns, isn't it, really? Yeah. And the um, the romanticization of the Joker Harley sort of abusive relationship to the point where they're sort of that's being betrayed as oh what a lovely couple. It's yeah. like Man, that that's that's fucking degenerate. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. And there's certainly there has been books we know there's been books that have explored you know, the truly messed up nature of that relationship and stuff. Um but there's also pe- people don't handle it very well as well. Like you know, if, for instance, if you take that um, awful Harley Quinn film where it was just treated like a, she had a bad breakup with a boyfriend. No, this is the Joker. Let's not. Yeah, let's, let's, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but certainly, uh, the one thing that I've noticed is a lot of people, even more because you're a fan of a of a bad character. And we're all fans of villains. Some of my favourite characters are actually yeah, villains. I like villains. Yeah. Um, but there's You're kind of good guys only as good as the villains he faces off against, or he or she. Completely, Do you know what I mean? Completely. completely. What's dead? Ever no kingpin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, would would Batman be Batman that we know right now? No Joker. With, without the, or supporting cast, I guess. The, yeah, because Batman has pretty much the greatest selection of villains, one of the yeah. greatest selections of villains ever, isn't it? Um, but there's an awful lot of people who are now more supportive of a villain, and when things don't go that way for the villain, people will say, oh, why didn't they get the happy ending? Or, or you know, why is this... Why is this happening? And I think that more and more, and people are losing sight of the fact mm. that, like, I don't really want to boil it down to a very black and white, good and evil, because there's always shades of grey. But it's it's hard to put into words because, you know, you read someone like a, like a bad guy gets their comeuppance. How often does that? And you know, if 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 there's a real nasty person. Who has done some awful, awful things, but then a couple of years down the line they become a fan favourite, and all of a sudden they're an anti—they're yeah. an anti-hero. Should but people forget about the horrible things they did before? It's weird because the, the the bad things that characters and villains will do nowadays seems almost trivial to fucking stuff like uh, the Killing Joke. Mm. And I, I sort of mentioned it earlier. That does that. Is that one of the early? It's one of saying one of the earlier things I can think of where they really tried to kind of humanize the villain and say, "Look, this is the reason he's fucked up. He's gone through this. It yeah. really is the one bad day." And I always feel like everyone's seen that. Go, oh, we've got to do that for our villains now. All the villains going forward, we've got to have this kind of tragedy backstory yeah. that you can kind of relate to them. But uh, what you're expressing there, there's 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 a the nub of this which I can't quite grasp. I I I don't know how to kind of to quantify it do you know what i mean like what what's happened it makes me wonder like do do they people want those kind of bad guys now they don't like that the nastiness of it yeah which is what they're supposed to represent there was a and um i don't know if i've mentioned this on the show before but this is one of the things that got this started me thinking about it which then got me thinking about like the comic villains and stuff like that um but i remember um anyone who who, out there who's watched this the show killing eve Right. Um, spoilers for the, for the very end. If you haven't seen the very end, um, if you've been on the internet, you probably know what happened. But probably skip past the next five minutes. Okay, from now. Okay. Um, now I don't want to spoil it for you, Dan. I don't know if you're watching it. <laughs> no, no, no. I've not, not been watching that. Now, now, obviously, there was wonderfully magnetic performances, like from the from um, the main. Oh, God, no, I've forgotten her name now. Jodie Comer. Is that her name? Yeah, I think so. Um, as the main vi- uh, character of it, um, well, co-main character of it, and she was a villain. She was a wonderful villain, at least in the first series. I haven't watched the rest. <laughs> um, um, magnetic, charismatic, hilarious, also a psychopath, and murdered innocent people. Now, you you watch it, you see it. There's some genuinely nice people in it, in the, certainly in the first series, and this person murders them. Like at one point, and some of the scenes are amazing when it happens. Mm. Just absolutely takes out like supporting characters. Just completely takes them out. Obviously, as the show goes on, the fans become more invested in the relationship between her and Eve, the main character. So, um, story goes on, blah 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 blah. And then when the ending happens, here's the spoiler: <laughs> um, Villanelle, the main character, dies. Um. They get together for a moment, I think. Um, this Eve, who is a very dislikable hero, if you ask me, and Villanelle. They get together, <laughs> and then 
something catches up with them and she dies. Of course, the internet went mental, going, "This is a terrible ending. They should have they should have been happy together. They no. finally they finally mm-hmm. got together." And I can understand the investment in a in a relationship and seeing how that that goes, but also there's that element of we cannot forget. And this like, and some of them were like, "Oh, they've been on such a journey. You know, they've totally changed." What? So you you murder five innocent people, and the character is fairly unsympathetic about it. Yeah, through the whole thing, and just because they're in love with the main character and you invested in that relationship, they narratively should get away. No, man, that don't wash with me. I, I, it doesn't wash with me either. And I'm not. I don't want to jump on some sort of moral high ground here because there's there's certain there's certain stories where. You know, villains can work getting away. Do you know what I mean? There's the, there are these um, stories like that, but that one really, and the way people kicked off about it, hmm. the, the, about this relationship, and they were like, oh, and to be honest, the ending could have been shit. I don't know. They might have just handled it poorly. Most shows normally end yeah. up as a damn script. Um, but for me, that character passing away, like, is not the problem. That's no. that's narratively the that's kind of justice is a strange thing but there should be some sort of comeuppance if your character is doing like abhorrent things take a Game of Thrones right mm. like like a Jamie Lannister an awful this... character an awful yeah. character he has one of the best um, arcs going all the way up until just around the last we won't talk about the last season basically where uh, they he stopped writing it <laughs> yeah but it's a really it's a growth arc in some sort of way yeah because there's a character that you despise with an absolute passion that has an mm. arc um but does that mean just because i end up enjoying following this character's story that i think that they should just walk off into the sunset happy with everyone else no that doesn't but like that character kind of grows and learns when yeah. you spend time with him he, yeah he, he's from being the greatest swordsman in the land to losing his hand yeah. and not being able to be that anymore, he kind of yeah. beca- grows and, le- and and changes, and you kind of change with him and realize he's gone on a growth. Where he's, yeah. he's not this kind of arrogant person he once used to be, and yeah. he's got a redemption of sorts. So let's spin this back to comics. Uh, apologies hmm. for my media ramble there, but I thought that, well, was, do you a want good, to that was a good example of it. Bring in your one, the uh, the message you sent over to me. <laughs> yeah, um, obviously we're doing a little bit of movie talk here, but the, I, I I thought that this would start at Dan's. You can tie this back into the comic. Easily. Um, obvious. Uh, of, we we're uh, we've had the Venom films and stuff, but in comics, Venom is being turned into a hero, anti-hero, blah 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 blah. I mean, but, I fucking hate that in Lethal Protector. Yeah, I remember yeah. I got the first issue of that. I was like, this is crap. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they're making. The film that everyone wanted, you wanted it, Dan, I wanted it, we all wanted it, a Craven the Hunter film. It's what we want uh, more than anything else. I want it more than a Spider-Man film, don't you Don't you agree, Dan? <laughs> um, I presume they're doing this to kind of like introduce these... Uh, because they have, the Spider-Man the universe, they have the Spider-Man universe, and the only people they have that they can really do that isn't Spider-Man is Spider-Man's villains, so they're making films out of this. That's why, that's why we've got a Morbius film. Because he's lumped in with the Spider-Man it's Morbin time. It's Morbin time, baby. Um, and fair play, you know, this film's being made. Fair play to all those people getting jobs. I feel great for them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, but Aaron Taylor Johnson is playing Craven the Hunter. Okay. Okay, Quicksilver. Yeah. Um, okay, kick, kick, 
Kick-Ass. Kick-Ass, yeah. He's playing Craven the Hunter. Now, he said this about the character. He's just a hunter, a human with conviction, an animal lover, and protector of the natural world. He's a very, very cool character. I haven't read that, Craven. No. If you read that, if you said to the, that he's just a hunter and said, what character am I talking about? You never in a million years would have got crazy. No, no. no. <clears throat> and this is not down to the actor because the actor's been given a script and that's probably the script that <laughs> he's talking about. If you relate it to the comic Craven, they're completely and utterly at odds. Yeah, yeah. Um, the natural world, as far as I can, I knew, he was just a big game hunter to the next level. Yeah, he was a, so... like a big game hunter on crack. He was like, <laughs> yeah. he constantly wanted his to push like have his ego stroked by killing hunting and killing things yeah like they're bigger than him and the challenge and that's why eventually he goes off to spider-man doesn't he yeah so therefore that there's an ip that someone sort of get here's this character how can we how can we turn this into a how can we turn this character into a good guy how would you what i just you can't and, do it it's, and, it's and, ri- no. big game hunters as good guys no fuck off no you know i love predator is my favorite Hollywood monster. They're a massive big game hunter. I don't want a predator to run off into the sunset at the end of the film. That's part of the joy of seeing how they get taken down. Um, Yeah. And this is just, I I think, a very good example of like how whatever we've known as comics is like, as what you've gotten to know as these characters. If if this, by some, if this is popular, this is what's going to happen in the comics. They work for every. Uh... They'll they'll if all of a sudden if this movie makes a lot of money, um, then Marvel you know it's a publishing house and it's a business at the end of the day they'll things will go in a certain way. Again, they they kind of rather than they kind of they change it to rather being a bad guy, he's kind of like got uh, ideals that are misaligned with the 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 world around us. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but actually, yeah. he's quite noble. Yeah, yeah. There's um. Yeah. We get fucking the uh, the Puma turning up next. Yeah, Spider Man. There's there's a uh, emphasis on the poo. Let's talk about animal <laughs> rights and shit yeah. like that. Um, for there, Peter. There, there's a <laughs> real. There's um. I think a, a shortcut way of people trying to turn their villains <clears throat> into heroes is adding a sense of nobility to it and honor. Because or the, the the tragic backstory of yeah yeah you do your your angle first yeah because it's well. For me, it's like that, you know, I'm a bad guy, but I'm going to let you go because you helped someone. Do you know what I mean? They'll do something yeah. that's completely out of character at some point. Um, and that just, that, <laughs> that irks me. Yeah. Um, yeah, what's, what's the angle you were talking about, Dan? Well, it's the whole, the whole thing of, like, the, the hero and the villain can have, like, the uh, exact same backstory. So, like, say there were, there were an orphan in an orphanage um, due to, like, fire regulations not being followed the orphanage burns down and everyone's killed that they love but the hero character uses that as an impetus to kind of do good and make sure that shit doesn't happen again the villain character takes that as a, the reason to go around fucking burning buildings down do yeah. you know what i mean because that's yeah. what was done to him so it's kind of like you can, you can understand like the, the backstory in either but the good yeah. guys takes the good suffering and the bad guy takes the bad but kind of the the, the kind of the, oh they're doing this because they've got a relatable backstory yeah. it's like it's, it's it doesn't good, justify it, what they're fucking doing completely it's, it's yeah. good it's good to have a layered and rounded villain like we always say that, I mean one of the greatest problems with villains is they're more likeable than your heroes which that, mm. that's that's a topic we'll I said that's a, that's a problem yeah and we'll get onto that in a second because that's the second part of this discussion um, but you know for instance if you take a green goblin you know Norman Osborn 
there's a lot there. There's mm. a lot there to sort of mine, and there's a lot of layers. There's so much going on with a character like that. But that doesn't mean that they're going to market him on a lunchbox. Well, they probably have, actually. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, they're not going to... Actually, hasn't he been in the Thunderbolts at some point? He has, yeah. He... Oh, yeah, well, I think he was leading them as uh, the Iron Patriot. I tell it? you what, Thunderbolts is a problem now. You well, reckon, yeah. Thunderbolts, for me, um, when that started, that Kurt Busiek, um I lo- really liked that when it first Mark, started. Mark Bagley, we, yeah, a yeah. bunch of heroes, and holy shit, what's the reveal? They're all villains. Yeah, they're yeah, trying to kind of now, get one over. Now yeah. they're just Marvel's Suicide Squad to just yeah. get some numbers, and it's it's not... It's boring. Boring. <laughs> um, I don't know. And it's just... It, you get these Suicide Squad stories, these team ups, like you know, just throw a bunch of villains together. It doesn't, it just doesn't work, especially as you know. It's always like, oh, we, we've captured you. You're villains, but you're going to do something good because otherwise, we'll do something bad to you. Yeah, what? I'm just getting, I'm just getting tired of it. A lot of it. Um, yeah, but like, take the uh, what we talk about about the villain that has no, well, that people don't want to have any um, consequences. Because the thing about the thing about story is, it's choice and consequence, isn't it? It's actions yeah. and consequence. That's a sense that what happens in a narrative, the things that happen lead I to mean, the things that happen. Yeah, it depends what the story you're telling. If you're telling the yeah. story about a criminal that does things and gets away with it, but then if you're you framing it as like they're doing all these bad things, they're really horrible, and they get away with it because readers like them. That's yeah. not right. Yeah, that's not the story you're telling. Yeah, there's a, you know, there, there's a difference between like an like an Ocean's Eleven, sort of like, oh, let's fo- let's follow them, rob from a bad casino, than like, oh, let's just follow a serial killer, just absolutely murdering yeah. people. Um, but like this stuff, like the, the whole uh, heroic bloodshed stuff of like the, the heroes dying and the, the tragedy of it, and uh, I, that that appeals to me. And mm. n- yeah, I... like if you take like who's one of the the thing they're trying to sort of like. Um, market a lot of villains in this kind of way, aren't they? To make them sort of layered and stuff. We've got the um, heel turn with like Poison Ivy now being like, yeah, kind of. She's not really a bad guy anymore. Yeah, she's, she's, a, a yeah. she's popular. Yeah, she, yeah, she's popular, so she's not a bad guy anymore. Yeah. Um, but didn't like isn't the Red Hood like he kills people or something? Uh, to be fair, I've not read Batman comics in ages, no, so I'm talking no, about my arse yeah. here. But like, uh, for me, like I can't see Batman ever bringing someone onto the team with that kind of ethos. No, has, but, but he does because I think Redford's part of the Batman family. I could be wrong. Yeah. I could. Be yeah, wrong. that's what I mean. I, I think that yeah. has happened. So yeah, yeah, it's kind of it, it flies in the face of what I thought Batman would be doing as a character. Yeah, it's it. You know, it's like if you had your main character, um, and they've had their arch nemesis for the longest time, and the arch nemesis has murdered people in the main character's life. Hmm. Think about it's, it. Would your main character ever team up with them? Yeah, no. Or ever, ever want to? Or, you know, like... He's got, yeah, what's the justification? There's got to be a real kind of... Uh, under normal circumstances, they wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, fine, okay. Yeah. Let's go for it. And certainly, there's a difference, like, you know, if these two characters had to join up to get out of a horrible situation, but once that horrible situation is done, the hero should They're be like... back on each other. Yeah, yeah, immediately. That's happened loads of times in comics. Yeah. Yeah, they've had to team up. Like, was that when Doctor Strange and Doom go to hell? And they're like, well, we've got to fucking work here together. Otherwise, we're going to get. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, fine. Yeah. Makes me laugh looking back in the day, like, we used to get 
if you wanted like a villain of the week that Marvel would stick in like some environmental villains like eco-terrorists who are kind yeah. of like there's a land one there's a fire one an air one and a water one yeah <laughs> but now like you know they'll be the good guys <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah they're killing people but like the fucking yeah because the corporation the climate change in it yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> Another uh, fucking thing that really fucking annoys me, and like it's, I've seen it in comics loads. It was in the the Trump uh, in the boys, and it's like when you get bad guys like talking like uh, Trump. It's like man, fucking move on. Yeah, that was really fucking stale when you first started doing it. So, oh look, they're talking like Trump, ho ho. And like we're fucking years down the line from that now, and it's just like if you've got a real problem with the fucking guy, what the way he used it, fine, but. Try not to let it infect the writing because it just comes across so fucking old. It's there, oh. there's there's a certain um certain uh, influences date um your story, don't they? Really? Yeah, um, I think that's why you know I'm I'm more drawn to the stuff that's so completely out there and like not attached to you know whether it be some epic sci-fi thing that has you know you take a Dune or you take a Lord of the Rings, or you take all this sort of stuff and. Um, none of them are going to be talking about <laughs> talking like Trump. No, that's, or, yeah, kind of. The, it's, I think generally that kind of insertion of kind of the. I know people say, "Oh, there's comic po- political comics has, has always been politics." Yeah, but like it's kind of you discuss the the, the issues rather than kind of the, the people in it and the, the politics of it. I know comics have had Ronald Reagan in it and shit like that, but yeah, uh, like I think in that boys, it was sort of like uh, he was saying like soups lives matter or something. And I was yeah. just like. Man, this a, that's yeah. a fucking reach. Yeah. Why not? I, yeah. And I, um, I was, I don't know, just just a lot of um, that kind of stuff. I, sometimes it's lazy writing if it's not handled. Yeah, I think it's just completely lazy writing. It snaps me out of it. Yeah. Like, I'm in, invested in this fantasy world and then suddenly someone flicks your ear. They're sort of saying, oh, look, yeah. this, yeah. Is, this is clever. Yeah. Oh, it's not, yeah. though. Yeah. Um. But with the talk of villains, where are the heroes, Dan? I know this is something, uh, you know, because people are more focused on their own version of uh, Harley Quinn or a Joker or, or you know, um, a, a Venom and all these other characters. Yeah, but where the kind of the, the villains been like on the right and or the good guys on the left? They've seen a bring them closer into the middle where they've each kind of like the, the, the good guys and the villains. Sometimes there's not a great deal of setting the two. Like yeah. that stuff in Civil War when Punisher met Cap and Punisher uh, Cap knocks the Punisher out and he's absolutely detests him, but the Punisher still looks up to Cap. Like yeah. you've got to have that the good guy, the the the, the heroic character who comes like the, the 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 ideals that we kind of strive for and look up to. Uh, do you know what I mean? It doesn't always yeah have because because be... uh, like a lot of the like especially with the superhero genre, you're talking about the idealization of society. You're... Yeah, and values and what's right and good and. I mean, people talk about like, oh, you know, Superman is boring. He's this, that, or the other. He's created to be this, you know, like Jesus-like figure. Do you know what I mean? He's like the yeah, the perfected ideals. Like he's just, he's going to help people in need. Um, but loads of talented writers have handled Superman and done absolutely fantastic stories. Yeah, and I feel like anyone who kind of like says, I, I, I think I would struggle honestly doing a Superman story myself as a writer. Yeah, but there's there's people talented enough to make good stories about him. And yeah. Like that kind of the the Boy Scout thing. I, I still think we need those kind of characters. I'm not saying yeah. don't have anti heroes, but we need heroes. Yeah, heroes um, 
should represent the best of us of what mm. pe- what people can be. That's not to say your hero's boring. I mean, no. you know, some of the finest heroes are the ones that have flaws because they're people. Mm. Um, but I, th- I would, I'd like to see a, a turnaround so that we look at the heroes more, more rather than thinking, God, the villains are so cool, aren't they? Yeah, because it's like, no, they it's cool to watch them put you know you know have these stories of peril mm. but i also watch it to watch the heroes overcome yeah watching the heroes uh, it's overcoming kind of uh, hard times and yeah working and striving for what's right and decent and good and kind of, people say well what's right and decent and good like okay fair enough that's a kind of deeper deep subject but yeah. we are talking comics here and- <clears throat> yeah oh yeah yeah and there's totally you know that doesn't necessarily mean that the heroes have to go and kill him uh, the villains, no. because some people go, oh, you know, why didn't you know if Batman had just killed Joker from day one? That's not the point. Yeah, that's not the point. And they say you don't understand. Over... You you work in that limitation that the as a company they can't kill the fucking Joker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But even if it if it wasn't a Batman, but just say your uh, character was a sort of Batman style character, I'm not I'm not saying that some indie creators do that as a lazy. Oh, yeah, no, uh, never. Yeah, you know, never. Um, but. You have to create almost, if you think about your hero, you have to create the moral code for that hero and then stick to it. Hmm. Because the moment that that hero strays from that moral code, that becomes that becomes a story in itself, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, Cap's done it when he's shot people. He shot some like a couple of terrorists with a gun because he had to stop them, and he beat himself up over it because. Yeah. I think Punisher's killed peace officers, uh, police officers before and kind of yeah, like well, well, ration, rationalises it himself, doesn't he? He runs the hand now, Dan, so uh, that's all. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's again, like you just moved that. Yeah. Yeah. I just... Because <laughs> because the Punisher symbol is problematic. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> one thing I would say is, well, just don't do stories about them for a bit. Don't do, yeah, just sideline it. <laughs> Look, how, about, how about we promote some actual positive superhero characters you know yeah. that's what I like about it. that's not to say you can't do a uh, you know a hard hitting story about it because Invincible that's pr- that's a pretty hard hitting story but he's a whole point of that the character's on the up and up he's trying to do the right thing he's trying he, he, I mean I haven't read it Dan so let's take that as a, a as a basis well, one like, of the interesting things is nearly about two thirds way through he comes up against a bad guy character and he realises his methods were actually like Though they're wrong, they will save a lot more people going forward. So yeah. he starts coming around to the rationale of, fuck me, if we do this, it will cause a lot of misery, but it will save infinitely yeah. times more down the road. And as a hero, obviously that that's going to appeal. So you kind of, rather than trying to fight crime, just absolutely stamp it out so it doesn't come back. And that's a good kind of like idea and philosophy they, they work for in the books. Mm. But they discuss the, the the books discusses it though, doesn't it? It works. Yeah. That's like a whole that's a whole thing, isn't it? It's that's a whole arc. Yeah, yeah. It's an ideology. Ideology. And he has to fight his people, his teammates, because he believes <laughs> contrary to what they believe. But they're, yeah. they're they're both trying to do the right thing, but yeah, two different which, ways of going about it. Which makes it fascinating. I mean, the whole idea of like one character sort of saying, "Look, one person just the means justify the ends." Yeah. Versus someone that's like I'm trying yeah. to save everyone. That's and always, justify the means. Yeah, yeah. That's always been a fascinating sort of moral. It, 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 it's the because it's it's the take on the on the classic um, psychological test, isn't it? You're on a, you're on yeah. a tram. 
and it's heading towards you know you can pull a lever there's there's two what was it there's a a group of like, people there's a group yeah. of people on one side and there's like an old person and a baby or something on the other yeah and yeah you have to decide which lever to hit. it's like five and one and yeah. it's like you're gonna you're gonna kill someone so yeah. Yeah, that that's what the alarm was with the uh, the AI with the cars, uh, and a lot of people concerned about it because say you're in a you're in a car being self driven, say Tesla, or whatever. Yeah, you come around the corner, there's 25 cyclists coming at you. The car either plows through the 25 cyclists, or it takes you off the edge of the the cliff. And the computer rationale that rationalized that your one death in the car's destruction is. Uh, a lesser loss than plowing into the cyclists. And then people <laughs> are like, well, hold, I'm, well, not hold getting, on. I'm not getting a self-driving car, man. Yeah, I'm not. No, on. no, no. Like, hold on, this is my car, my product. It shouldn't be fucking, <laughs> shouldn't be killing me. Yeah. Why, is it, why is it even programmed for that? I mean, I mean, we will also say this: we're not saying we're pro driving into twenty-five no, no, cyclists. No, no, cool, but, kind but of, yeah, is it a kind of uh, a kind of a, a, a question about morality and ethics? Yeah. Yeah. That's Christ. That's a hell of a sort of programming program you got to put in yeah. that machine to yeah. kind of come up with that. Yeah, I mean we're we're not living in a black and white world. There's um, there's layers to everything. And I mean that's what makes it good. And when people are portrayed yeah. as completely black and white, it's kind of like well, there we go. We're kind of flip, we're fucking flipping now because we're saying not all yeah. the bad guys are bad and the good guys are good. It's, some, a, it's an interesting subject. Yeah, some of the some of the best stories um, inspire discussion. Um, but sometimes I feel like we lose sight of, you know, you know, the the right and wrong when it comes to some of our fantastical narratives hmm. that we read. I think, and also there's a certain fan ownership that comes into it, which yeah, I think, yeah. is, which I think is just silliness. You know, yeah. if a, if a writer, if a creative team want to take a character in one direction, they can do that. Hmm. It, it will it will either sing or it will it will drown. Just yeah. let let the quality of the story stand on its own. You don't need to throw someone death threats like a pathetic knob <laughs> idiot before things are finished. You know, but you... I, yeah. I shared that thing with you. It was months ago now. But like one of the execs, uh, like an animation company, and they were saying like how nowadays that the they parents don't want cartoons that make the quid, the kids question stuff and give them stuff to think about. They just want to stick them in front of the cartoon for 25 minutes and then when they're done, they're done. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Not like get a fucking morality play like in He-Man or G.I. Joe. Yeah. Where sort of Orko fucks someone over to get a new hat. Yeah. Says, Is that the right thing to do, Orko? No. <laughs> I don't care. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know if that happened, but do you know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah. you, you get a morality play like kind yeah. of play out and you'd find a thing. Oh, actually, yeah, that was a bit dickish. Yeah. I won't, I won't knit little Sally's pencil case tomorrow at school. I, I tell you what, my YouTube occasionally recommends me that 24 seven GI Joe oh, for gold. Streaming. Yeah. Anyone who isn't aware, aware that if you like GI Joe on YouTube, Hasbro 24 seven streams, the episodes just yeah, constantly just jump in. So you good. send it to me and I'll fucking watch about free. Yeah. <laughs> just, it's great. Love it. Yeah, that's this real clear morality lines. Good, good guys, bad guys. Yeah, no, that's no. One, also, no one's getting it? absolutely murdered. They, no, I mean, the things are exploding, but you know, yeah, the action that's figures escape at the, the end. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, on the flip side, I've been because uh, I've been watching like old war stories. I started like transitioning to listening to people like 
survive, like soldiers who yeah. come back from war. And it went back on, went on to Vietnam stories. So I was listening to people from on YouTube and it's like, fuck me. That is fucking heavy listening. It's amazing. Two, two people can go into the same thing and it, one comes out completely yeah. different to the other person. And you, you honestly think, well, I know what, I know what it's going to be like when you, they talk about Vietnam survivors and it's just the stories that no, no way. Oh God, he's, this guy's like a fucking rare sunshine. He's absolutely like, trying to do his best and there's another one who's just like oh fucking that was a hellhole and it's really interesting uh like you know it's, it's spurred from that autobiographical stuff when we were talking about people doing their comics and yeah they they've got nothing to talk about except going down buying biscuits and walking the dog and it's like then you listen to stories of people who fucking done stuff i'm yeah. not going to say remarkable things but done yeah live live lived a life yeah um, and i mean there's there, there, there's obviously there's um there there i mean everyone can do an autobiographical book um but because everyone has their own experiences everyone has their own lives and stuff and everyone has their own struggles and things and if you mm. can, if you can put that on the page that also is both readable and will inform people mm. it doesn't matter you know what your age or what you've been through and stuff yeah. you know there's there's some fantastic works i've been re- yeah. i've read from younger people that's opened my eyes to god things. yeah um so it isn't always a you know i, I don't know you don't have to, you don't have to serve in a foreign war to kind of yeah. do an autobiography there was one comic i posted up in the slack and it was like this cartoonist had done these simple cartoons like two panel and it was like as a kid and it was like a little boy sitting next to a little girl and they were drawing a picture all fun yeah. and then adult and it was the same guy and girl and like they're reading newspaper looking their phones completely dejected and not interacting with one another and it was like a series of things in childhoods where you go out and do stuff and then when you become an adult you're kind of locked away alone and oh god that it's very, it's very sad but kind of like i can yeah. understand that would that would uh that would make me cry <laughs> i have to find it to you for you now yeah, Vince. yeah. Send it. Some, it was... some, some of the best auto buyer stuff i read is usually like those little funny strip ones of like people's just day-to-day oh here's an you know stuff that makes me laugh yeah that's, that's yeah that's a fun because with those moments like oh yeah i've had that yeah or, you know that's yeah. a good experience you're like i'd do that yeah, yeah. <laughs> so basically everyone's a villain um and <laughs> see right. I, I, we go from topic to topic in the blink of an eye don't we Right, I'm going to send you this now, Vince, so you can... Uh... Oh, what, you want me to cry on air? No, it's not that bad. Drink it in. Yeah, the one of the first ones, he's like a little boy in his cardboard box, peering over the edge of his cardboard box, and then it cuts to, like, being in a cubicle, of like, row of cubicles, and he's looking over the top. And it's like... <laughs> That's... Poor sod. It's so well done. I yeah. see it's from... At Brad. Brad T. Done. Jonas. Yes. What a beautiful bit of artwork as well. Yeah, it's really nice. It just says everything. Best stories sometimes have no words. Hmm. And there you go. Like the uh, G.I. Joe silent issue. <laughs> back, back to G.I. Joe. Everything comes back to G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe. International heroes. Seriously, get on it, folks. <laughs> you learn how to fire laser guns. Yes. Anyway... Serpenta uh, was such a great villain, uh, like as an idea for a villain. Yeah, yeah, he was. Man, just it? like you go and get the DNA of all the fucking world's worst people, and yeah. then you combine it together to make like the super, super bad guy. I was watching episodes of that on that GI Joe YouTube, right? And it was leading up to the movie. 
I didn't right, realize okay. they did that. I, I because there was certain bits like when the dreadnoks come in and stuff, and, yeah, and like you see the very beginnings of Doctor Mindbender, like beginning the work to start creating Serpentor. I was like, ah, uh, I didn't I know that. Know, I didn't know. I didn't know that. So I was more the comics as opposed. To, I saw the animation animated series on and off, but yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, where I got most of my reading was like you know the the reprints in the back of yeah other comics and stuff. Action Force, oh, action. Is. yeah, so good, so good. We'll do a Joe Joe episode. Yeah, faux um, show. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> anyway, do we have any shout outs, Dan? We do. Yes, I've got two. Uh, 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 one of my favourites from over the years, uh, Morgan's Organs. Hey, issue four back. Uh, Morgan's Organs is a comedy series about sentient beings who control college student Morgan's body, except they don't really care about his well-being. Do you remember the odd bods? It's kind of like yeah. brain's got a character and all these different organs have, have got their own characters. Uh, last one was fucking an absolute corker, issue three. He Morgan wakes up from like blackout night of drinking and like his whole body is absolutely mashed up and the organs... Morgan's organs have got to launch an investigation to try and track down what happened. And it's genuinely funny, this comic. And uh, for book four, it says, uh, we're going deeper into the body than ever before. With a story about the journey of sperm. You'd never thought it, but these little dudes had so much to teach us about appreciating life because it's such a fickle, precious moment. It's going to be an emotional journey about friendship, glory, and loss. And we're in the Kickstarter. They uh, do the first five pages of the, the comic. And it's fucking glorious. It looks really good. So that's a, a back for me, definitely. Uh, my second one is one you've probably heard about already if you've uh, listened to the ACP. It's the Scroll Lords 2 comics magazine. Yeah. Scroll 2, uh, a comic magazine featuring the Scroll Lords uh, and special guests, comics, interviews, features, Scroll. And that's uh, hammering its way towards the target. This last time was such a quality product. So good, so good. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just the, the pinnacle of kind of just the art, just everything coming together. The, yeah. the, the, the print production on it, spot on. It's it, yeah, and pro it, level. It's, I mean, I mean, it's the crew, the scroll lords came together, but like it feels like as a publication, it's also evolving as well, isn't it? And it's sort of yes, yeah. It'd Can't be very this. interesting to see uh, how this, like you said, Vince mentioned, you're going to kind of cut back on stuff because for so many kickstarters are fucking backed yeah i'm definitely going to be back in school or school two and uh morgan's yeah. organs yeah then i've got like fucking chill back daddy-o yeah <laughs> chill back daddy-o <laughs> you're so hip and trendy cat um you're one groovy cat baby um <laughs> <laughs> anyway we have um a, a few recommendations we've got two each I'm going to kick us off with a little um, sort of slight shout out as well, um, yes. because as I talk, this Kickstarter has four, well, three days left to go. And my first recommendation is the Final Curtain, a Spatchcock mystery, which is a comedy about a retired carpet salesman turned private detective stumbling into a murder mystery. <laughs> Uh, this is written and drawn by uh, Gavin Mitchell. Uh, the concept was created by Gavin Mitchell and Jim Banfield. Um, and uh, yeah I was very uh, lucky enough to get my hands on a, a digital PDF of this and read it this is um, is a 65 page well that's story pages um, it's going to be an A5 uh, black and white book um, and it is glorious this this 
comic. It made me laugh all the way through. Um, the story is in the quaint seaside town of Cramphorn. Private detective Spatchcock <laughs> spots an opportunity to fulfil his childhood dream of acting on stage at the Civic Theatre. But with a moribund love affair, an egotistical leading man and an increasingly homicidal director, Spatchcock soon learns that the drama isn't limited to the stage, especially when one of the cast is murdered. Um, this is basically, if you liked uh, things like Murder, She Wrote, Diagnosis Murder, um, those daytime sort of crime sort of uh, who who done it sort of thing, which I'm a big fan of anyway, because Murder, She Wrote is absolutely <laughs> gangster. Uh, <laughs> it's to be right up, right up your alley, this book. But it's also just, I mean, Gav, Gav's been, uh, what's the other, is it? Rum, I've forgotten the other titles he's, he's working on. Uh, Rumpy Corn? Oh, he's not. He's not. He's done that in the past. No, um, I've forgotten that. God damn it! I can't remember the other other title he's been working on recently, which was just on Kickstarter. But this is this is Gav's uh, sort of one man show, and um, it has a wonderful UK comedy feel about it. And you'll definitely, I, if you've um, when you get your hands on this, definitely look for certain. Not obvious likenesses, but there's certain people that I definitely recognise from the UK comedy circuit. Now, <laughs> nice. now, this is the comedy circuit of like the Big Train sort of era. Mm. If, you, if you watched Big Train, Egg. you you may recognise a few people in this that are sort of like, you know, if they were cast in in this adaption, they would be these characters. Um, but it's wonderfully done, wonderfully paced. It's, I mean, a lot of it is it's. It's a very much a sort of dialogue-heavy sort of book. It's rather, you know, because these sort of shows were very much just people talking to people. Mm. Uh, Spatchcock himself is is a gloriously sort of um, he's he's that's got that he looks like a a retired colonel. Um, I know he's a carpet salesman, but he's got that sort of like Colonel Mustard look about him, which is yeah. wonderful. Um, says on the inside cover after retiring as Cramp Horn's premier merchant of carpets and floor floor covering accessories Spatchcock pursued his true passion and established the town's first detective agency because beneath its quaint plush pile appearance is a mouldy underlay of crime, murder and mystery <laughs> <laughs> um, and also this, this I knew I was going to like this book because um, um, on the, one of the inside covers there's just a picture of a Battenberg I fucking love Battenberg um yeah there's a lot of cake talk there's a lot of murder and mystery there's a lot of laughs to be had gav does this wonderful black and white half tone sort of pattern throughout as well which adds so many layers um he's got such a sort of deft use of color and shadow and it's just just amazing stuff so if you haven't backed this yet i know a lot of people have it certainly it's um funded its goal um but you've got a couple more days to get on Kickstarter and look for the final curtain, a Spatchcock mystery by Gavin Mitchell. Um, certainly, if you know, um, get your hands on the on the digital, if nothing else, um, because it's going to be well worth it. And like Dan said about the Scroll Lords, it was one I, as soon as I saw, I mean, he was going to back it anyway because um, yeah, on this shit. It, it's, it's also um, there's wonderful bits in the back, sort of back matter, sort of like adverts and like newspaper clipping. You know, there, there's little extra layers to the story which which adds adds a little bit more um and it says at the end he will return in they came to Cramphorn. <laughs> which uh, <laughs> uh and on the on the back it's, it's it follows a sort of pulp novel kind of look as well you know even down to the way it's, it's got looks like it's got a fake sticker with the price written on it like a price tag 
And um, one of the quotes on the back is, Is that a pistol? I asked. Bang! It replied. Uh, <laughs> 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 which made me made me laugh a lot. Yeah, so Spatchcock. Um, I've been wanting to talk about this one for a little bit. I, just, um, I gave it a reread and thoroughly, thoroughly recommended. That's my one. What's, what's your one? What's your First one about? is uh, Voodoo Cowboy by uh, Matt Garvey. Uh, love that say- title. I love that title. Yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's very evocative. Mm. Uh, set against the backdrop of the Old West after the Civil War, Voodoo Cowboy tells the story of Grady Young, a Bocor, which is a Voodoo Rich Doctor, who is called upon by an old army buddy to investigate the strange goings-on in the small town of Sweetroot. What Grady discovers is an evil force has gripped the town firmly by the gullet and will not let go without a fight. Uh, I can't really go too much more into it without kind of spoiling the story on that one, but it's great because it starts off like a classic... Uh, Sergei Leone with the the stranger kind of coming into the the town on the horse and rocking up in the bar. And then the kind of the story kind of spins off from there. Uh, The art is by a person called uh, Aruja Sushini, uh, written by Matt Garvey, colours by D. Cuniff. Mark, the cover one I've got is by Mark Textera. Textera, is that the name? Yeah, Yeah, Textera, yeah. Absolutely fucking great. Love that dude, and kind of, although not quite on it, the interiors follow a very similar style. Uh, I really enjoyed it. If you kind of like westerns with a kind of a supernatural twist, it's a it's a good setup, like Mac Garvey does with all of his stuff. It's a good setup for the issue one, for the the, the rest of it to kind of spin off from. So uh, yeah, great, good stuff. You, go. uh, you got a second one? I do yeah. have a second one. Um, it ties into a happy birthday to you message that we wanted to do hey. because, because my second one is by our good pal Cliff Cumber at CG Cumber the on, leader uh, on Twitter the leader um, go follow him um, and I know an awful lot of people um, will be as we're saying this anyway because um, he made a lot of new friends at Heroes I think and well worth it because we love his artwork and we love him in general so happy birthday Cliff I know as we're recording I believe it's today isn't it Dan I believe so yes the 26th of the 6th yeah so yes he's a June baby and they're always the best babies Um, um, but this is a discarded paper which is a zine of thoughts and memories 2021 to 2022 I know he printed a few copies of this and just had them on the table uh, um, sort of heroes, didn't they? I think it was just a sixteen-page. That's it. Yeah, little, little zine. Uh, if he was tempted if you bought something from uh, Tribute, he would uh, give one away. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, what lucky people! Yeah, and he also did. Um, I think fifty things. He also had as well, which is a, ha- um, uh, a handy guide to the parameters of living, drawn from five decades of doing just that. So he's telling uh, yes, us, of course, he, he did yeah. that with his little things, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Nice. Um, but discarded paper is certainly exactly what it says on the tin, a zine of thoughts and memories. And it is something very, very special um, that I think more people need to read. And you can read now, um, if you go to his pinned tweet on uh, on his uh, Twitter, there's a Google Drive link and you can download this, which immediately is what I did as soon as I, I saw this, if you couldn't get a, a printed copy. Um, and certainly within the first uh, the inside cover I knew I was in for something a bit different because obviously mm. we, we joke about um, we joke with and about Cliff and, and his sense of humour and he's certainly there's, there's humour 
sort of going through this there's some stuff that moments where i stopped and chuckled to myself especially when he talks about um paddington's pigeons <laughs> uh, um, there's an interesting story he tells about with two ladies yeah, yeah. About that. yes yes maybe i'll bend uh, his ear when he comes over in july um there's one line in this book that i would just be great on a t-shirt which just says the seagulls decline to give counsel um but the first thing that struck me about this was within the the inside cover um where he talks about a moment on a on june the 20th this is um only a few days before um before he headed to heroes con and uh six days before his 52nd birthday he says and uh, a skype call from his uh 86 year old father and there's some i'm I'm not going to say anything about it, but there's there is an an honesty mm. and a real. I just um, it was hard to describe when I read it because yeah, I uh, know exactly what you mean. Because um, you know, knowing Cliff as we do, and he's all he's always the life and soul of the party, um, but we always knew there was we always knew there was more going on. Mm. <laughs> Um, and he's probably listening at the moment thinking, no, there's not. There's absolutely nothing going on. Um, <laughs> but that um, willingness to be so honest about something that is very personal mm. um, speaks volumes. Um, and there's a th- and it immediately um, not only sets you up for the next 15-odd pages, um, it's both touching it's both thought provoking and i think that was it was an interesting page to put on the um inside cover as well um as he says on the inside cover he said discarded paper is somewhat random slightly eclectic gathering of thoughts memories and ephemer oh god affirmations ephemera which i couldn't say first time even though in my head it was right written (laughs) and drawn throughout 2020 and 2022 i don't know i just needed to put it down on paper um, there are some people that put stuff down on paper, and it's absolute wafflings. There's there's a lot going on here, from like poetry to just thoughts to some, you know, some some jokes tucked in there. There's some sequential stuff. There's wonderful illustration. Uh, it's an insight into someone's thought process, from the very simple to somewhat abstract, the poetic, uh, amusing. Um, and it's it's a real um it's a treasure i think um i know this is literally just thoughts put down on paper but it's it's thoughts from a person that is just a, a fascinating and wonderful human being so um i can't recommend this enough and uh, i know, and when someone puts out a work like this i think the best thing to say is like thank you cliff I uh, I yeah, cheers, man. I truly for free as well. You can yeah, download it for free. Yeah, yeah. But I truly appreciate when people choose to be this honest, mm. um, because there's one thing to put ideas down on paper. Sometimes it's a good ac- exercise to do just to get your head out out of the space that you're in. It's another thing to share it with the world. Um, but not only that, it makes people think, which we need more in the world. So discarded mm. paper um, from Cliff Cumber. The highest recommendation from me. So uh, follow him on Twitter. Um, Agreed, of course, yeah. next week we'll be back to like just 
call him a bum face or something like that. But, um, <laughs> but, but until then, yeah, yeah, this is um, wonderful stuff. And I'd, I'd like to see more of it. I'm not saying you have to rip your heart out and give it to us, Cliff. Um, <laughs> yeah. But just, just more Cliff Cumber work is just always good. Always good. So there you go. That's my one. Go nice on. one. Take uh, us home. My down. second one is the Daughters of Albion, issue one, a supernatural urban fantasy comic. A double murder on the banks of the Thames draws a young woman into a millennia-old conspiracy that threatens to destroy us all. Uh, you know how, like, comics set in a dystopian uh, UK. So the story, <laughs> the story is, London is divided. People in power are puppeted by secret organisations while central London police scare the streets into submission with their brutal technology. Amidst this unrest lives uh, Hashini Pereira, a tinkerer and tech head played by strange dreams have left her they have her dragging beneath the surface of the Thames each night since she was a little girl. When an ancient artifact, a series of chance encounters and a ritualistic murder push her into the path of London's most dangerous secrets, uh, Hashani starts to realise that un- uh, uncover the truth about her city, she has to discover the truth about herself. Old myths collide and secrets tick steadily towards chaos as Hashani plummets further into a London where nothing is as it seems. Doors of Albion's dystopian sci-fi story set in a futuristic version of London. Artwork on this, first off, gorgeous. Absolutely lovely stuff. Yeah. Uh, the artist is by, by a chap called Matt Timson, which I think might some listeners might know. Uh, it's written by Dennis Fan with additional writing by Beanie White, uh, additional colours by Marco Lesko and letterer Jim Campbell, which many people will, will know. Uh, I've never heard of Wild River comics before, but they seem to be quite the big deal because looking through them, like they're, all the creators on this have got form of like being at other uh, publishers, uh, Dark Horse, mm. uh, various various places. So it's kind of uh, I, I say various places. And I don't fucking mention them. Dark Horse, Image, <laughs> Top Cow. Uh, among self-made hero amongst others so they they've they kind of know what they're doing and the, the package they put together for this comic is absolutely lovely i think in the kickstart they did a number of different covers available from different artists and they're they're great uh, uh the artwork is kind of photographic but there's like the use of i think 3d models drawing in there it's seamless the writing, I, I kind of I had to read it twice because it kind of got lost and i'm not sure if that's the whole me when I read digital stuff, sometimes it just doesn't click with me quite as well. Mm. Uh, but like the dream sequences are like painted, painted like, and then when you go into the comic, it's more, more of a straighter style, but it's nice to get that kind of like transition between the two. I really enjoyed it. I'd like to see where the series goes. So very interesting. So where, so where did you get yours from again? Mine was from the Kickstarter. I backed it directly. Uh, I often just get the digital stuff. And then if I like it, I'll keep an eye on it. And then, hopefully get a print version down the line at some point. But I think, let me just have a quick look uh, and see if they've got the next one on the go because this uh, last update of June 8th. So yeah, I don't think they'll have anything coming out yet from them. Uh, yeah, it's all posted off. Uh, so I don't know what they got, if they got anything planned coming up, but we'll have to see. So keep an eye on them. Wild River Comics. There you go. Yeah, put that in your recommendations. There you go. What a lovely uh, bunch of recommendations for you yes. lovely people to go forth and search out. And uh, once again, thank thank you to Stephen Appleby for um, talking to Tony 
Um, we we know you lovely people out there f- follow his work and uh, a, a big fan of it. So go forth and read loads of stuff that we talked about this week. Um, it's been a it's been a. If fun you got one. anything, yeah. If you got anything to say about uh, heroes and villains, love yeah. to. Yeah. If you thought we were thoughts. just talking absolute nonsense, you're right. Again. Yeah. Um, but you can also email us to tell us that we that we talk nonsense at awesomecomicspod at gmail dot com. Follow us on Twitter at the awesome pod, where we'll be posting up, retweeting, getting the words out about um, future endeavors, etc. Mm. If you if you're on Facebook, go to facebook dot com slash awesome comics podcast. There's the community group Awesome Comics Talk on there, full of fantastic people. As is the Awesome Comics Podcast Slack group full of channels from uh, comic discussions to uh, just people selling books, just all kinds of uh, chat going on there. There's a follow-up chat based on each episode. There's all kinds. So get in touch with us to find out how to join that because it's a wonderful community of people on there. Uh, Thank you for joining us, whether it's on the website, awesomecomics.podbean.com. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, subscribe and leave a review. It helps get the word out about this show and everything we talk about on a weekly basis. We're also on places like Spotify, Amazon, Stitcher, Podnose, Podknife. What other networks are we on, Dan? Uh, pod bad guys. That's terrible. I'm not as good as this as fucking... I'm not as good as this as Tony. <laughs> well, pod bag, bad guys actually sounds like it probably is a yeah. thing. Um, but It's kind of intimidating. Not intimidating, but like when you look at how many podcasts there is about people doing comics, there's fucking loads. <laughs> So, so, and that means that we appreciate you, lovely people. Yes, tuning in every week because we really do appreciate it. Taking your time out, listen to two hours of comic talk, and usually inane opinions and stuff. But hopefully, we we start your week off or keep your week going in a positive manner. And uh, yes, thank you very much for listening wherever you were in the world. Where can people find us online, etc.? Dan, me, uh, obviously, because only me and you. Uh, at Twitter at Vanguard Comic and you can be Vanguard at VanguardComic.com also come and see me on the Patreon which is Patreon.com forward slash Vanguard Comic yes and also check out NeverIKnowAnything.com yes for, uh, um, you can get all your tribute press needs as well as Tony's uh, excellent podcast like a, sister, like a sister series so, there you go go forth check it out have a lovely week um, we'll be back um, with a returning guest next week to talk about um, another in- interesting topic, as always. But mm. until until then, I mean, we'll see you next week. But until then, thank you very much for listening. Um, me and Dan love you very much, don't we, Dan? Hell yeah! There's so much love in this room right now, Miss Tony. Yeah, so Oops. that's why there's so much love in the room because it, it's all normally there's a counterpoint with hate. <laughs> there's, a, there's a certain balance so there's no we're unbalanced there's too much love in the room um, it's almost like wet wet wetter here there's a there's a reference yes um, that's so, 90s reference that yep um, and I'm aging day by day so while I do that go forth and read loads of comics make loads of comics have a great week and from Dan I'm going to say it Tony and myself have a brilliant week and uh, Dan what do you think they should do this week? Stay awesome. Can't say a fair myself. Bye, everyone. See ya.